seated and thank you for being back in your place. If you would stand, we'll get started with our service. Exodus chapter 4, verse number 10 says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither therefore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's tongue? Or who hath made the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. It's good to know that the Lord will enable us if he calls us to do something, right? Uh, Brother Peterson, would you open us in a word of prayer, please? And join me in singing page 208, Grace Greater Than Our Sin.
again, drumming sing page 449, Dwight and Beulah Land.
Share a quick testimony. Um, I was having a hard time figuring out what song to sing, but then two things happened before Christmas uh, this past year. Um, first, I was actually able to read all those verses for the Christmas program. Uh, that may not seem like much, but with the speech problems that I had last year, it would have taken a couple hours for me to read that much aloud. I don't think anybody would have wanted to sit that long. Um, second, right before Christmas, I had an MRI. And since starting my medication a year ago, I haven't had any new lesions on my brain or spinal cord um, compared to the dozen or so I had in the six months before I started my medication. So thank you for all your prayers over the past year. Um, God's goodness isn't dependent on my circumstances, but over the past month it has been easier to see. Tell you everything 
But the best way I could say it is this. God's been good in my life. I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could. For through it all, God's been quite how you follow that up, so not like that. <laughs> First Samuel chapter number 11, please. While you turn there, I just wanted to say thank you so much for, um, for everyone that came on Friday and uh, supported me as I got ordained, and um, truly has been a great three years here, and um, I'm not going to get all sappy and stuff, but thank you, and uh, we are looking forward to what God has for us, though. I'm very excited about California and San Marcos and the church there, and uh, we're looking forward to that, but we have certainly had a great time here, and we love all of you uh, very much, and um, we're, uh, we're so grateful. So, First Samuel chapter number 11, and verse number 1, we'll read through verse number 11. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes, and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers unto all the coasts of Israel, and then, if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. Then came the messengers to Gibeah of Saul, and told the tidings in the ears of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field, and Saul said, What aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he had heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. And when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were three hundred thousand, and men of Judah thirty thousand. And they came unto the messengers that and they said unto the messengers that came, Thus shall ye say unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by that time the sun be hot, ye shall have help. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out unto you, and ye shall do with us all that seemeth good unto you. And it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that when that they which remained were scattered, so that two of them were not left together. The title of the message this afternoon is A Delivering King. A Delivering King. 
Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this afternoon once more. And Lord, I ask you to help us as we look at this, that this, at this section of Saul's life, uh, that you would help us to understand uh, your greatness as I tried to portray that uh, this afternoon. We love you and are so grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, in his name. Amen. Uh, to catch us up where we ha- to where we are, First Samuel has been uh, uh, the beginning of the nation of Israel as a monarchy, and we have uh, uh, the last few chapters we've talked about uh, bringing Saul to the throne as the earthly king of Israel. Uh, now, whether this choice was good or bad, we've seen uh, much detail that shows that it wasn't quite a positive experience. Uh, Saul was not uh, everything that, that Israel needed, uh, nor could he ever be everything that Israel needed, uh, because God is the only rightful and true and able king of Israel. And so while Saul was, uh, was very good looking, and while he was a pretty tall guy, and people looked up to him figuratively and literally, uh, we understand that uh, spiritually speaking, he wasn't all he was cracked up to be. Uh, he wasn't what he was supposed to be as a king of God's chosen people. And so we see in, in, in chapters uh, 9 and 10 that Saul had quite a rough beginning, right? That Saul was chosen by Samuel, and, and uh, we understand that Saul was chosen in God's anger. We find that in, in Hosea chapter number 13, that he was chosen in God's anger, uh, and yet God still cared for his chosen people. Uh, in his anger and in his compassion, he chose Saul. And so Saul was, was delivered as the king of Israel. And now we come to chapter number 11 in our text. And we, uh, we find that this is just about Saul's one shining moment uh, that we have recorded for us as the king of Israel. This is just about the best thing that Saul ever did here in this one chapter of his record in his career as king over Israel. And so we find that as we look at that one positive light that Saul has, we we need to understand this, that, that Saul's greatest moment in his life had nothing to do with him and had everything to do with God. It wasn't that Saul had a great moment because of who Saul was. It was that Saul had a great moment because of the real king of Israel whom he whom he claimed it to serve. That, that's why Saul had a great moment was because of God. And so let's look at this story real quick and we'll find, um, we'll find uh, hopefully something that will be an encouragement to you this afternoon. Uh, verse number 1 through 3, we find that Israel is, in this time, they're being threatened by uh, a very harsh and a, a very horrible oppression. That's, that's what they're being threatened with. And so we find that this new character, uh, this new person named Nahash, he's the king of the people of the Ammonites. He's, the, he's their king of the people. And he comes against these people in Jabesh Gilead. They were on the east side of, jo- on the east side of Jordan. Um, and so they were so- so- somewhat separated from the rest of the nation. And so this, this person named Nahash, who's the king of the Ammonites, comes against Jabesh Gilead. And notice the, he tries to make a deal with Israel. He tries to make a deal. It's not a great deal, right? How many of you remember uh, Let's Make a Deal, right? From back, okay. He's going to offer him a zonk. They don't know it yet. He's, he's going to offer him that. Okay, let's look at what, he, what he's going to offer. Uh, all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, uh, uh, so he comes against them, and the people of Jabesh Gilead say, uh, make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. So here's what he offers them. On this condition will I make you a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes. That's That's gross. That's, that's disgusting. It's not like he said, I'm just going to kill you all, put you all out of your misery. 
I'm going to leave you alive, but I'm literally going to take one of your eyes out of your head. That's a gross, weird picture, right? But that's what he offers them. He says, if you really want to serve me, here's what you have to do. You have to give me part of your sight. You have to give me part of your vision. Uh, and, and we notice that when they do that, it says there in verse 2, that it, it's a reproach upon Israel, right? So one, one aspect of this is that when, when, people, when, uh, when soldiers would go into fight, that they would, cover their, they would cover the left side of their face with their shield, and they used their right eye so that they could see and so that they could fight. But if you don't have a right eye, you can't fight with the shield. You can't fight effectively at all. And so it's, it's a reproach. We can't, the, what he was saying is you can't handle yourselves in a military aspect. You can't even fight for yourselves after what I'm going to do to you. And if you want to serve me, this is what you have to do. You have to take out your right eye. I'm going to take your right, out, right eye out for you. And so notice, notice the response. This is crazy. Verse number three. The elders of Jabesh said unto him, Give us seven days respite. Let us think about this for a week. Let us just consider this. It's a pretty good deal. So let's just think about it. If something, something else doesn't come, we'll give you a shot. Right? That, that's, give us seven days respite. Let us think about this. Uh, and we'll send messengers into all, all the coasts. And if, if nobody else saves us, then we'll come out to thee and we'll serve thee. And you can have our right eyes. And you can have us as a reproach unto the rest of our people. Just give us seven days to think about it. And so they send messengers out like they said they would do. They, they, the verse number four, we find that, that God's people are threatened by a harsh master here. And, and, and we find that somebody does something about it. They, they are not left with no one. Uh, and so verse number four, the messengers that Jabesh Gilead send, they go to Gibeah and they go to Saul, or they go to Gibeah where Saul was, and they told the people of Gibeah these tidings. They told them this deal, and the people of Gilead were not nearly as excited about this deal as the people of Jabesh were. They, they start to wail, right? The people lifted up their voices and they wept. Quite a, quite a different response. One says, well, let us think about it for seven days, and the other one's like, Hold up. Let's just cry about this for a second. <laughs> not, not quite. Right? No, but they were, they were sad that their kingdom would be under reproach. That God's people would be made as, as, as an embarrassment on this earth to God. They were sad about that, so they lifted up their voice and they weep. Verse number five, and so Saul hears this commotion. He's, he's, even though he's the king, he's, he's uh, out with the herds, out in the field. And so Saul hears this and he goes and he says, what is ailing the people? Why is everybody crying? Uh, what is the deal here? And so they tell them, uh, they tell Saul the tidings of the men of Jabesh, verse number five. And so verse number six, we find this, the, the greatest moment of Saul's life, that the Spirit of God comes and rests on him. Nothing else in Saul's life could ever amount to this. Nothing that Saul did by himself, nothing that Saul's family could do, nothing that Saul accomplished as king could ever be as great as this moment that the Spirit of God rested on him. This is the height. So the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those things, and his anger was kindled greatly. A righteous anger, I think. I believe that. A righteous anger because God's chosen people would be a reproach if this happened. That, that, they would be, that would be an embarrassment to everyone else. That God's name would be blemished if these things happened. And so Saul said, I'm not having this. So what, Saul was, what does Saul need to do? Well, he needs to gather an army, because you, you recall that this is Israel's first king. 
And so they're not organized yet. So he has to gather an army so that he can fight against the Ammonites. And so he has a very interesting way to corral people together. Notice what he does in verse number 7. He takes a yoke of oxen and he hews them in pieces and sends them throughout all the coast of Israel. He takes, a, he takes an oxen, cuts them up in little pieces, boxes it up, and sends it to people's houses. And he says, if you don't join me, if you don't join me as an army, if we do not corral together so that we can fight against the Ammonites, I'm going to do this to every single one of your oxen. I'm going to cut them up in pieces. That, if you're wondering about that, that would wreck the country. It would wreck everything. It would wreck the economy. It would wreck the, out, the, the exports and imports. It would wreck everything if Saul did this. And so it's quite the, quite the enticing offer from Saul, right? So notice the two things on the board. We're either going to take your eye out of your head or we're going to chop up all your oxen. That's Israel's options here. And so Israel chooses that they're going to follow Saul. We're going we're gonna to take this one. We're going to... If we don't join him, we'll, we'll allow our oxen to be chopped up and they, they join him as an army. And so notice the army that, that, he, that he accumulates, verse number 8. We find that uh, when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. So 330,000 answer this call that comes from the king. That's a, a pretty decent army. A pretty decent army. And so they go and they, they fight against, verse number 9, they came unto the messengers, they, and they said unto the messengers that came, Thus shall ye say unto the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by that time, by that time the sun be hot, ye shall have help. And the messengers came and showed it, and the men of Jabesh were glad. Well, certainly they would be glad. They could still see out of both eyes at the end of the day, right? So they were glad these 330,000 people are going to come and they're going to help. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you shall do with us all that seemeth good unto you. We're going to follow your lead in this fight. We're going to follow you. Verse number 11. So it was on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch, and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered, so that two of them were not left together. Every man for himself. Right? That's what the Ammonites said. Every man for himself. We can't, we're not fighting against these Israelites anymore. We're not taking their eyes. We're not taking their people. Every man for himself. And so Saul delivers a victory. He delivers Israel through this threat of from the horrible master. Now, we won't go into a lot of detail, but I will finish out the chapter here real quick before we, before we move on. And that is that, that this event uh, helped people's mind cement Saul as king. Uh, this, this kind of set in their minds that Saul was going to be their leader. Verse number 12, And the people said unto Samuel, uh, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Uh, they were wondering who, were the, uh, who was pro-Saul and who was anti-Saul, because whoever was anti-Saul, they, they were not having that. They were, they were pro-Saul now. And so anybody who said anything against Saul, notice what they said, Bring the men that we may put them to death. Anybody who's against Saul, they're out of here, because Saul is our king now. He has delivered us, and he has been a military leader. He has gone out before us and fought for us, right? That's what they desired. Back in chapter number 8, they desired a king that would go before us and fight our battles for us. And Saul has done that now. And so they said, Saul's our king. And anybody who's not for that, we're, we're, we're finished with them. And so verse number 13, though, we find another smaller good thing that Saul did. Saul said, there shall not a, there shall not a man be put to death this day. For today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. 
He said, it's not about me. God is the one who brought this victory to Israel. It was his name at stake. It was not my name. It was the Lord's name that was at stake, and he's the one that brought salvation. So nobody's going to die. And certainly Saul as king would have had that power. Not that he would have had the right, but he would have had the power that anybody who was a naysayer, off with their head. But he said, we're not, we're, no, we're not doing that, because God is the one who brought salvation. And so verse number 14, then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And so we find Israel has been delivered from a very harsh and oppressive master because Nahash hadn't even been in control yet and he was already threatening them physically. And so it was a pretty harsh and oppressive master. A very harsh. And, and we find that, that, that God's people, as we move into our application now, that God's people are still threatened by a harsh master. We still are threatened by a harsh master. And that's the master of sin. We're threatened by that. Every day. And every hour. Are we not? It still threatens to raise his head. Uh, turn over, if you would, please, to Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. Paul writes to the church at Rome and, and is writing to the believers at Rome. And he, and he, tell, and he talks to them about this idea of, of who are we serving. And verse number uh, 12 says this, Let not sin, therefore, if you're there, what is the next word? Reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive unto uh, uh, that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of, of righteousness unto God. We find that God's people, believers, are threatened by the harsh master that sin is, that Satan brings to us. Uh, Satan attacks us, but I, I want us to understand this, that while Satan may attack us and tempt us with sin, uh, he cannot do anything against us without our agreement. He asks for our surrender, right? Neither yield ye your members. Don't surrender to sin, because it has to be our choice. We are free moral agents, are we not? It's our choice to sin or to not sin. Yeah, we have a, we have a sin nature, and we struggle with it, and we battle with it, but we have a choice at the end of the day. And Satan, Satan will not do, cannot do against us anything unless we surrender to him. Unless we choose to follow him, he won't do it. Satan wants us to serve him and will attempt to intimidate us into giving in to him. Will he not? He, he intimidates us. Hey, all your friends are doing it. Everybody that you look up to is doing it. Uh, everybody around you is participating in this, that you know God's not, God is not for it, but everybody you're hanging out is with it. He, is, he attempts to intimidate you because he wants you to surrender. He wants you to surrender to him. Satan wants to humiliate us and exalt himself over us. At the end of the day, Satan cares not a single thing about the believer. He doesn't. In fact, he cares so little about us that he wants not to exalt us and to make us better. Though sin is pleasurable for a season, the Bible says, but we understand that he wants to exalt himself over us. That's Satan's MO, isn't it? That's how he caused the problems in the first place. I will be like the Most High. Uh, I will ascend to the throne. And so he wants to humiliate us and exalt himself over us. And through humiliating one saint, he brings reproach on all of us. Isn't it sad when we hear about a believer who's fallen 
who's chosen to go down the path uh, of sin, who's chosen to forsake all and to surrender to Satan. It's a sadness, it's a terrible thing, and, I, and it should break our hearts that a fellow believer, one of God's people, would say, I would rather not follow God and I'd rather follow sin. I'd rather yield myself as a member of unrighteousness instead of a member of righteousness. He wants to take away our ability to effectively fight against him. If we can't fight against him, he's, he's won the battle, hasn't he? And so he wants to do everything he can to, to take us away from that. He, he tries to distract us from the Word, from the sword of the Spirit. He, he tries to distract us so that we don't have a prayer life. He, he, wants, us to take, he wants to take everything away from us so that he, we can't fight against him. Because he wants the victory. He wants to blind us, and if he cannot blind us completely, he will blind us partially. If he will do anything he can against us so he can have the victory and exalt himself over us. The way that Nahash acted toward Israel is exactly how Satan and the rulers of wickedness act toward the believer today. That we will do anything that we can to make you a, a reproach, to make you an embarrassment of God's people. I don't think it's a bit of a stretch to say that. I, I don't think so. Their actions are pretty similar. And I think one, one more interesting aspect of this is that, uh, does anyone want to take a random guess at what the name Nahash means? It means snake. Snake. That old serpent that comes against us and he says, I will do whatever it takes to get God's people to serve me instead of him. He'll fight against us. He'll distract us. He'll take away our power because he wants us to serve him and be an embarrassment to God. He wants, us to, make a he wants to make us a reproach upon all Israel. But I want to leave you with some hope. Because just as God made a way of escape to Israel, He still offers help and rescue. Even when we don't deserve it. And especially when we don't deserve it. First uh, Corinthians chapter number 10, He provides a way of escape. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. And so there is a horrible and oppressive master that wants you to serve him. But there is also a gracious and helpful master who loves you and would desire nothing more than to see you serve him. Because as we yield ourselves to righteousness, we find that that's when God blesses. Even when we don't deserve it. Because certainly Israel did not deserve deliverance. They had forsaken God. Chapter number 8, remember? They had forsaken God. We don't want God to be our king. And yet God still said, I will, though we, though, though we displease God, he will never forsake us. I will not forsake Israel because they are my people. And can I tell you, he will never forsake us because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Father, thank you so much for this day. And Lord, I don't know who in here may be struggling. I don't know who in here might be on a crossroads that is choosing which master to serve. Uh, but Lord, I understand and I believe that you desire to help and that you desire to make a way of escape and that you desire to deliver, to be the real delivering king. And Lord, I ask that you'd help somebody today that may be on that crossroads, that they would choose to yield their members as instruments of righteousness and not that they would serve sin and Satan. Lord, we love you and we are so grateful for your grace and your mercy to us. In Jesus' name.
Amen. As the piano begins to play, as we stand to our feet, what master are you serving today? There's a God that desires to deliver you, and I hope that you'll follow that. Brother Jay sings verse number one of Cleanse Me. If you would uh, have a seat for just a moment.